all of our gathering places, God's people say together, amen and amen. Well, again, good morning. Um, I, I got to confess, just in this particular moment, I feel a little, a little bit lost. There is nobody to tell to be seated. There's no kids to dismiss for children's church. I'm sure many of your kids are ready to be dismissed now. Um, sorry, we just don't have that option uh, to, today. Um, but at the same time, I'm so excited and so encouraged by the fact that, that as a church family, we, we have this option. Just It wouldn't have been all that long ago that that if, uh, if something like this was going on in our culture, we just would have been stuck. We would have had to record something and put it out on audio. But, but now visually and, and audibly, we can sort of, as it were, see one another. We can, we can be together in spirit, if not in body, as a church. And, and that's really cool. And, and so really, before I dive into the, the message, and I'm excited for what I'm going to share, uh, what God's put on my heart this morning, I, I want you to know, as, as I'm sure you have gathered, there is a there is a small uh, but, but very dedicated crew of people here with us. We've done our best to keep it to, to 10 or less, um, but there are just a few guys and gals scattered about this room who are making sure, doing everything they can, and they have worked long hours and late nights uh, to make it possible for us to meet together in this way. And so I, I know they can't hear your applause, but just wherever you are, you can give them a little clap. Uh, you can comment in the, in the comment section on our, our places uh, that, we're, that you're watching just to, to give them thanks as well as the worship team. And, and again, we're doing our best to make this as familiar as possible. I was going to say normal. That's not the way it is, but familiar uh, for sure. Uh, I also want to mention, I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, I hope you have access to a Bible somewhere, go ahead and turn in it to Luke chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. But as you're doing that, I want to mention one other thing. Uh, we didn't get it into the announcements, but it just, it just popped last night, at least through uh, the Maranatha Facebook page, which is that, that Maggie and her, and her husband, Scott and Maggie Knoll, um, our, our Sunday school director and, and her husband, uh, are putting together something they're calling the Sunday School Snack Pack. And it's an abbreviated uh, Sunday school lesson for the kids. I didn't come across it till, till my youngest had gone to bed last night, but my wife and I sat on the couch and watched it. And, and, and after viewing the Sunday School Snack Pack, I thought, I don't even really need to preach today. Y'all can just go watch that. But, but there is something out there to help your kids stay connected uh, at, at this time. So um, whether you want to send them off to watch that now, I guess, or just know that it's there. Again, we're doing everything we can to, to keep ministering to and caring for one another in that way. Now, with that said, I want to get into God's Word this morning. And as you might gather by the fact that if you're at least a regular at Maranatha that I've asked you to turn to Luke chapter 8, um, we are going to depart now and for the foreseeable future, however long this is going to carry on, um, we're going to depart from our ongoing study in the, in the New Testament book of James. Last Sunday, we, we finished chapter 1 and, and try to explore some of what God says about, as I think you're able to see on the screen or in what we emailed out to you, what it, what it means, what it, what it involves to magnify Christ in uncertain moments of time chose the theme going viral because, of course, we're dealing with the, the reason everything is in such upheaval is because there is a virus, a very real and dangerous virus going around. But we also know there's, there's sort of a double meaning to that, that term of going viral. And, and even as our world is struggling with panic and economic downturn and all the, the, the harsh realities that the coronavirus has brought uh, our way, we, I believe, as followers of Jesus Christ, have a unique opportunity to take what we know to be true, the gospel of Jesus Christ, viral. 
And so, so much of what I'm going to talk about today and in the weeks to come, which I have no idea what I'm going to talk about in the weeks to come, uh, but even so, is going to be geared in that direction. How can we go viral at this time, even though we're quarantined, we're separated? I believe this is a moment of great opportunity for followers of Jesus Christ. And to get it started this morning, uh, we're going to go to what is probably to many Christians a very familiar, uh, even a classic Bible story. For others of you, it may not be uh, quite so well known, but it's found here right in the heart of Luke 8, uh, kind of on the latter side of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's a story that begins in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, and it goes through verse 25. So I'm going to read those verses now and then see what they can say to us about, again, magnifying Christ in uncertain moments. So Luke 8, 22 through 25, this is what the Bible says. It says, Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he, Jesus, fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They, the twelve disciples, came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. You know, I have to think it's probably not a stretch for, for me to say, to me to suggest that, that many of us feel a whole lot like those 12 disciples this morning. So to speak, many of us as believers, many of us just as, as people living with the reality of the times we're in, of the coronavirus pandemic, many of us perhaps this morning feel as if we are in fact stuck in a boat in the middle of a lake with a storm rolling in. And while we know that sooner or later the storm will end because all storms eventually, they come and, and then they go, what we don't know in this particular moment is when the storm is going to be over, when the rain clouds and the trouble is going to pass. And, and in many instances, probably many of us feel like we're just doing our best to hang on till life as we knew it returns as best it can back to normal. And so for however many weeks it's going to take until the storm passes and we we return to some sense of normalcy. As I said a moment ago, our plan here together as, as a church, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, is to take this time to dig into some of what the Bible says about magnifying Christ in uncertain times, uncertain moments of time. And, and, and a couple people already this week have suggested that, well, maybe the best thing I could do is just go back, back up and, and start James chapter 1 all over again. If you've been with us, you know, James chapter 1, it's all about trials and storms and trouble and adversity. And, and I kind of think maybe it's not a coincidence that we've spent the last several weeks there. And, and, and certainly it could be a good idea to go re-examine it in light of what we're going through. But, but instead, as, as you know already, we're going somewhere else in the Bible this morning and the reason we're going to do that is so that we can talk, I can talk with you, we can talk together about fear. We can talk together about fear because I, you've probably noticed, as, as I have, that fear seems to be, if not the, it is a dominant theme in every coronavirus-related news report, article, conversation, the thoughts in our heads, the one word, the theme that keeps coming back up is fear. 
And, and as we look together at this, as I said, in many ways, a classic, memorable story from Jesus' ministry, what I want to show you from it in this time that we have together are three things that we shouldn't do in response to our fears. Three things that as followers of Jesus, or maybe this morning, those who are going to consider taking that step of faith, three things we shouldn't do in response to the fears, the very real fears we are grappling with. And, and if you're not naturally fearful, if maybe as, as the past week or two has unfolded, uh, the one thing you haven't dealt with is fear, you're just more of a naturally fearless kind of person, I guarantee you, you know somebody who's scared. You love somebody who's scared. And so if, as I share these things with you, you say, this isn't so much for me. Well, write them down and give them to somebody else because people are scared. And, and as believers, in light of that and in view of this story, there are three things we shouldn't do, the first of which is this. The first thing I see this story suggesting that we should not do in the face and response to our fears as followers of Jesus is, number one, don't pretend the danger isn't real. Don't pretend the danger that's out there isn't actually real. You know, once again, I, I think it's no coincidence that, that last Sunday, as we finished out James chapter 1, that, that the theme, one of the major themes of those two verses we looked at, was the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, we are called to live lives that are tilted toward the weak toward those in need. James says in James 1.27, he says, pure and undefiled religion, the real deal as Christians is this. It's to, to minister to orphans and widows in their distress. And that's both a literal and, a, and a, a broader general reference to the fact that we should be living our lives, we should be doing what we do in a way that is tilted towards showing kindness and help and mercy to the weak. And, and I really believe that our present circumstance, what we're going through right now in our nation and around the world is a remarkable opportunity to do just that, to engage with the weak, to be tilted toward those in trouble. And, and again, while some of us are, are more naturally courageous than others, more perhaps ambitious to do something like that, the fact of the matter is this, what none of us can afford to do, especially as followers of Jesus, is pretend that the danger, the danger of this virus that's going around isn't real. And, and, and in fact, to act otherwise, to pretend that the danger isn't real, to, to live in a way that says it's no big deal, I don't have to worry about it, that's not spiritual. It's smug. And, and frankly, it, it does damage to the cause if we act like somehow because we have Jesus, we're above all of this. No, we're right there in it with everyone else. Now, now I realize that as we look, and I want you to look at your Bible now, verses 22 and 23, I realize that when we looked at Jesus in the midst of the storm, and Jesus is, of course, who we're supposed to imitate and strive to be like and become conformed to his image, I realize Jesus is asleep in the storm. But I also would remind you as we look at that that he was God. <laughs> Beyond that, he was also exhausted. If you read the story of, of the day, the days plural, leading up to this particular moment, he has been doing ministry day and night, 24-7, all sorts of stuff, and he is physically, emotionally, spiritually, because he was God but also human, he's thoroughly exhausted, so it makes sense that, that maybe he'd be sleeping through the storm. But that doesn't mean the disciples weren't in danger, because they were. Looking at what the Bible says now, on one of those days, and, and if I could just pause there for a moment, I love that Luke begins the story that way. It wasn't a special day. It wasn't a day where they all woke up saying, man, Jesus is going to do something today we've never seen. But maybe they thought that. 
But, but Luke is just saying, hey, it's, it's, one of those, it's, it's just a day with Jesus. Him and his disciples doing their thing. Nobody saw this coming. On one of those days, it says Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But, verse 23, as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. Now, now, now literally, if you go to the original language, what, what Luke says in that verse is he says it was literally a hurricane of wind. Hundreds of miles an hour. And, and this is actually is not all that uncommon on, on the Sea of Galilee. There are storms like this. They come up and, and, and they would periodically just come up out of nowhere. You'd be sailing along and then a storm like this would come. If you read Matthew's account, this story is also recorded in Matthew and Mark. Matthew actually in his account in the Greek uses the word seismos to describe this storm. You hear seismic in there. He said this storm was like an earthquake on the water. So you've got one guy saying it was a hurricane, another saying it's an earthquake. So I think therefore Luke is warranted when he says, what he says is warranted when he says they began to be swamped and to be in danger. It didn't look like danger. It didn't seem like danger. It, it wasn't potentially, no, they were in danger. A life and death moment of time. You know, if you're of a certain age, and I don't really know what age that would be, but old, older, perhaps, uh, you may be familiar, you may recall from the mid to late 70s, Gordon Lightfoot's classic song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, I, I heard that, I mean, that was already, I think, an oldie by the time I found it, but, but, um, but it's a phenomenal true story, song about a true story of one of the two largest cargo ships on Lake Superior in the early 1970s that, that was caught up in a storm just like what we're talking about here. Uh, one of the most violent storms ever to, to come on that lake. And, and I went and read it about it on Wikipedia. Don't go listen to the song right now. I know the app's right in front of you. Don't go to Wikipedia. You can read about it later. I did it all for you. I listened to the song. I, I went to the story. But they say that in that particular instance, this massive cargo ship going across Lake Superior, one of the two largest on the entire lake at that, mo at that point in time, they, some people believe it, it split and capsized in 10 seconds. So great was the storm. And, the, and there's this, if you remember the song, and there's, a, there's this haunting line in the middle where he, he asks rhetorically, does anyone know where the love of God goes when waves turn the minutes into hours? And I think that's exactly how the, how the disciples were feeling in this storm. This isn't a flannel graph. This is the real deal. And, and personally, I can't, I can't help but wonder, and this is just me, you may see it differently, but I can't help but wonder whether the disciples, they not only never saw this storm coming, which they didn't, but maybe deep down inside, some of them thought that a thing like this couldn't happen to them because they were with Jesus. And the reason I wonder that is because sometimes that's what I like to think. That because I know Jesus, bad stuff won't happen to me. That because I have Jesus, that what happens out there in the world, that, that I'm somehow immune from the trouble. And, and, and I just happen to, I can't help but wonder if maybe the reason some of us, even as believers, are so fearful today is because we kind of thought the same thing. That stuff like this can't happen to us. But the dangers in this world are real. We are not granted immunity from them. But at the same time, the irony is this, we don't have to live in fear. 
The danger is real, but we don't have to fear. Here's what Paul Tripp says about it. Many of you familiar with Paul Tripp, this, just this Wednesday in his weekly devotional, writing on this very thing, said these words, and I want you to listen to them. I think we'll have them even. They're available on the screen for you to follow along. Paul Tripp says this. He says, be afraid because danger is real. Fear is a natural feeling, but don't give way to fear. Giving way to fear is characterized by meditating on the trouble and forgetting God in the process. If any type of trouble consumes your meditation, the larger it will loom, the more impossible a solution will seem, and the more frightened you will become. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible you're paying too much attention to the news? Is it possible you are running to the wrong places for comfort? Is it possible you are the one who keeps bringing the conversation back? And so the more you think about it and the more you talk about it and the more you linger on it, the scarier it becomes. Listen, this is a time like no other when we have to realize, those of us who know Jesus Christ, that there is no substitute for spending daily time in your Bible. There is no substitute for going to God in prayer. There is no substitute for personal worship. And these are the things that will give us hope even though the danger around us is real. So the first thing this story tells us we must not do as believers is that we must not pretend the danger isn't real. But I'm going to give you a second one that, 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 that exists in tension to the first one, that we have to hold as believers. There's so many things about our faith in tension. It is this. Number one, don't pretend the danger isn't real. But secondly, don't forget that Jesus is in the boat. Don't forget that Jesus himself is in the boat. And, and you know as well as I do, that's easy to forget in a crisis. Think of some of the scariest moments in your life. An unexpected trip to the ER, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job. In the moment, we all lose our head. In the moment, we all lose our way. Even as Christians, and we know that Jesus is here, but sometimes the way we respond doesn't show it. And, and while the disciples' deal was different, Jesus literally physically was in the boat I'm not convinced they knew he could solve it. Look at verse 24. He said, they said, come to Jesus, and they wake him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, we're perishing, that's the problem, but I don't know beyond that what they expected because the Bible doesn't tell us. Were they looking for a miracle? Are they just mad that he's not awake and doing his part? And, and even among the 12 of them, are they on the same page? Luke says this was their response. Master, Master, we're perishing. Matthew says they were crying, save us. Mark says, they said, Jesus, don't you care? They're all over the map. They're all over. And, and the reason I don't think they were really expecting he would solve it is because after, look at verse 24, he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. He exposed them one and all. He said, where's your faith? I don't think that was an angry statement. I think that was a, a gentle statement, but a legitimate one. Where's your faith, guys? You know, when we are not in a crisis or when we are able to catch a break in the middle of one, it is so important as believers that we rehearse and remember who Jesus is, that we rehearse and we remember what he can do, what he has done, what the Bible says, the power that he possesses. Why? So that in the storm, 
we can find our bearings more quickly. Listen, if you want to think of, of your, your relationship with Jesus in terms of a, of a spiritual toolbox, listen, if you're not putting tools in the toolbox and plans in the toolbox on, on, on a regular basis, then when the storm comes, you open the toolbox and there's nothing there. And, and you're going to scramble and you're going to worry. But if you've been hiding God's word in your heart, if you've been making a relational prayer relationship with him a regular part of what you do, listen, it, 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 it will, it, it's not going to make the problem go away, but you're going to find your bearings in the storm more rapidly and allow Jesus to begin to help. So for instance, one of my favorite passages to remember to consider who Jesus is in, in a time of crisis is Colossians chapter 1. And I'm just going to read you Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Again, I believe this will be on the screen so you can see it. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because of how vivid it is. But he says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Let me ask you a question. Is that not good news today? Isn't it good to know that Jesus made it all, he controls it all, he's in authority over it all. That as a, a friend of mine often says, that, and, and that as such nothing can touch my life, your life, apart from his permissive will. He's in control. And listen, even though we can't see him, he really is. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's in your boat. You're in his boat. He told us so, one of the last things he ever said. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Because that's so, before I give you the, the third and the final don't from this story, I think it's vital that I just pause and ask a couple of questions. The first of which is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You mean, you know he's there. You may believe he's real. I mean, you tuned into church this morning, right? But have you ever truly come to a point, as many of us have, but not all of us watching this morning, of recognizing that, that he is God, that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, that God sent him into this world because we have a problem called sin. And you may not be the world's worst sinner, but you're a sinner like the rest of us. And that the only way we can have a relationship with God the only way we can be assured of hope in this life and heaven when we die is by repenting of our sin and trusting Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, that he died for our sin and rose from the dead, you will be saved. And, and I'm just going to say, some of you watching today, you don't need to listen to anything else I'm going to say until that question is settled till you have literally or symbolically gone to your knees and said, Lord Jesus, what I need is you. And I've, I, I didn't know, I've been running from you, I've been pushing against you, I've written you off, but I realize today, now more than ever, I need a Savior. And I plead with you to do it now. And for those of us who do know Christ, 
Do you really understand who he is and what he can do? Are you rehearsing the truth of God's word in your mind and heart? Do you trust that he's with us in this storm? Because the Bible says that he is. And we've got to start there. So number one, don't pretend the danger isn't real. But don't forget that Jesus is in the boat. And that takes us to the final thing that I want to show you from this story. The final thing we shouldn't do in response to fear, which is this. Number one, don't pretend the danger isn't real. Number two, don't forget Jesus is in the boat. Number three, don't squander the opportunity that is before us. Don't squander the opportunity before us. Because you see, in the rest of verse 25, if you look again at your Bible at verse 25, we are told exactly how the disciples felt about this miracle. He said to them, where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed. Literally, they were scared and awestruck. They were legitimately, emotionally scared. They were spiritually in awe of what Jesus had done. And, and as a result, we're also told not how, only how they felt, but, but what they said. Now listen, at this point, they've been with Jesus two, maybe three years. They've seen countless miracles. They've seen what he can do. They've heard his wisdom. And all of a sudden, they're asking themselves all over again, who in the world is this guy? Who is it that even the winds and the waves obey him? We're told how they felt. We're told what they said. But you know what? We don't, aren't shown what isn't revealed, what they did in response to it. Did they seize the opportunity to magnify Jesus or did they squander it? And I don't know. I don't know the answer. I know they had the opportunity because if you go and read Mark's account of this story, it says that when Jesus and his disciples launched out on the boat, many others got in their boats and went along with him. And you know what that means? That means there are a whole lot of other people. There were literally boatloads of people out on the lake who endured the same storm and experienced the same calm but weren't close enough to understand how it happened. And how will they hear without a preacher? How would they know if somebody didn't tell them? Now, I'm not saying the disciples didn't tell them. I'm just saying that the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not they did. And I think the fact that we are given, left with that uncertainty, can prompt us to seize our opportunity. The opportunity before us to reach out, to speak with, to offer help to those around us who don't know what we do, that Jesus is in the boat, and that Jesus is in control that there is hope, that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And in a practical sense, here's what that means. And I'm just going to quote one more, a fellow named Daniel Harrell, who this week wrote a, a phenomenal essay just called, Is Coronavirus Evil? And, and as believers, what should we do about it? And he says, listen, if, if we're going to seize the opportunity before us, he says, quote, practically speaking, here's what that means. It means refusing to worry about our lives and give in to the panic. It means resisting the urge to hoard for our own preservation. It means keeping social distance to interrupt the viral chain, but breaking the distance to care for the sick in our families, neighborhoods, or churches. It means serving those in need, the aged, the sick, the vulnerable, without recourse, whether directly alongside healthcare workers or indirectly through our gifts and support. Now listen, as someone, as if you're part of our church family, you've heard me talk some, not a lot, but some about it. Someone who in my life wrestled mightily with fear. I, I have had anxiety issues at multiple seasons in my life, so I understand fear from the inside, as, as some of you do as well. And in the past year, I went through a whole season of really grappling with anxiety and fear again, but I learned something this time that I didn't know before. 
Because I think as believers, again, we know we should be tilted toward the weak. We know we should be serving. We know we should be involved. But again, what are we? We're scared. Will I get sick? Will I know how to help? Will I know what to say? Can I make any difference? And that causes us to withdraw. Here's the most important lesson I've learned about fear in the last 12 months. That sometimes, not always, but sometimes, the best way to overcome a fear is not to run from it, but to step into it. To step into the danger. Why? Because Jesus is in the boat. Because God's made some promises. And if the worst happens, I know, I know where I'm going. But to step into the fear, not recklessly, not thoughtlessly, not foolishly, but with a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. And I've seen stepping in my life, seen stepping into some very real fears. By stepping into them, they've begun to go away. They've lost their hold. And, and some of us need to, instead of retreating, step into the fear with the help of Jesus. Because while none of us is glad coronavirus came our way, we can rejoice in the opportunity it gives us to magnify Christ in an uncertain time. But if we're hiding, we can't do that. If we retreat, we can't do that. We've got to step into the reality of the time in which we're living. And I just want to ask you a question. Who can you do that for today? You can't do everything, but you can do something. Who can you do that for today? Don't squander the opportunity. Don't squander the opportunity before us. You know, the fear of being lost at sea is a very real one. And while most of us probably will never experience that in a literal sense, we know it figuratively, we know it symbolically in the sense of, of the fear of being overwhelmed, being overcome, even being destroyed by the apparently random and unexpected and scary stuff that this world throws at us, that life brings our way. We are afraid that when a storm comes in, that we will be lost. And my hope is, my prayer this week has been that by looking at some of these things today in Luke chapter 8, that you have found hope. That there are some hopes you can cling to. There are some truths you can rely on. That it might change the equation so that you can live this week far more richly for Christ than you've been able to live the last week or two. But listen, whether anything I've said this morning has helped or not, and, and I'm, I'm willing to bet there's a lot of both of those in the equation, but whether it's helped or not, there's one more, very quickly, one more thing we must see in this passage before we close. And I'm going to tell you, before I show you what it is, I'm going to tell you that on one hand, it's so obvious when I show it to you, you're going to say, how did I ever miss that? And yet, because it's so obvious, that's why we miss it. I missed it entirely the first several times through. But it's this. If you go back to the beginning of the story, I want to show you something. Maybe you caught it. If you did, give yourself a gold star today. If not, just, just be surprised with the rest of us. But Again, verse 22, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he, Jesus, said to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. See, before they even set sail, Jesus told them how it was going to turn out. We're going to the other side of the lake. We are going across 
I, and I'm not going to tell you what's going to come our way in between, but I make you a promise. We will get to the other side. And, and again, that's ordinary talk. Of course, what, what is he going to say? Well, let's not go to the other side. So in one sense, it's a very ordinary statement. But if in the moment, the disciples, maybe if they'd gripped hold of it, hey, Jesus said, there's a storm, but Jesus said, there's wind, but Jesus said, we're going to get to the other side. Maybe that would have changed the whole equation. He's made that promise to me and you. If we know Christ, we are getting to the other side. We are getting to the other side. And in the meantime, and, and, and listen, uh, you've heard me say, if you've been around here, you've heard me say this before. Every crisis, every situation uh, ends in one of two ways. Because every crisis has an expiration date. Either we die and go to heaven, or the crisis passes and we move on. Maybe change, but move on. Either way, we win. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do whatever you want to me. I'm a winner with Jesus. He has promised us we're getting to the other side. He's promised us that heaven is our home. And guess what? In the meantime, he's promised nothing can separate us from his love. And that's why today's big idea, the big idea of this message, as we seek to go viral, is to bring Jesus your fear and go out with joy. Bring Jesus your fear and go out with joy so that others can see his light in you. Father, we do live in an uncertain time. We are in days that none of us have seen before, and, and we want the storm to pass. But Father, if it passes and we're not changed, if it passes and more people don't learn about Jesus, if it passes and, and we don't make much of Christ, then, then we've missed an opportunity. And Lord, we do not want to miss the opportunity. Show us today who we can reach out to. Show those of us, Lord, in the audience today who need Christ that now is the time to trust him. Show us today what we can do to make much of Jesus in front of people who need hope. Father, as always, I want to pray that you would take the things of truth spoken here today and seal them up in our hearts. That you would take the things, everything else that is not of the truth and let it be forgotten so that we can come away from this time seeking, trusting, savoring, walking with Jesus in a place and in a spirit of great joy, trusting that he will work in and through us as he does. And Lord, we ask you to protect, to watch over, to guide us in the week to come until we can meet this way again. In Jesus' name.